Okay, Christ is better than angels. The whole argument with the Hebrews, the Jewish Christian was, okay, Jesus, he's the Christ, the Son of the living God. Well, how, you know, we're used to worshiping Jehovah God called seven different names. You know, Elohim, which is the word God, or El. And then we had uh, Almighty God. These other names of God, there's about seven of them in the Old Testament. So they're used to being, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. That's Deuteronomy 6, 4, I believe. That, 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 was, that would have been on the, on the doorposts of their, of the, as they come into their, into their house, that, that scripture would be on their doorposts. Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. Monotheism, or worshiping of, there, there is just one God was the foundation stone or the cornerstone of the Jews. Think about this. This goes all the way back to Moses. And it goes all the way back to really Abraham. And so you got this being pounded into their mind that there is but one God that made heaven and earth. And all that you see and all the stars and all the universe is all made by God. And this God is known to you <clears throat> as the I Am, as Jehovah. Their favorite name would have been Jehovah. <clears throat> so, 1,400 years, or let's say even 2,100 years of that, then Jesus comes. And he said he is the Son of God. Well, in the Jewish lingo, that simply means he's deity. And that's why they took up stones to stone him when he asserted clearly that he was the son of God. And he, he said in chapter 8 of John, before Abraham was, I am. That was even more so. That was Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. That was a reference to the burning bush when uh, uh, when Moses said, well, who do I tell the Jews, who do I tell these, these Hebrews in, in Egypt that, that you are? He said, tell them that I am the I am. I'm the all-existent one, eternal existent one. And so that was a new name, by the way, revealed at that time of God. And so with all of that said, Jesus begins to make it clear to them that I'm not an angel. I'm not Michael, I'm not Gabriel, I'm not the brother of either one of them. I, before everything was, I existed with the Father. And they begin to, and now they've been taught against polytheism as hard as you can teach somebody against it. And they begin to want to interpret that as a polytheistic statement, meaning you're adding another God to the Godhead. We can't do this, we're not going to do this. And we're going to kill you for this. And that's one of the reasons why they stoned him, by the way. They stoned Jesus on not what he did. They stoned him, or they stoned him, excuse me, they crucified him. I was thinking of Stephen. Uh, they, they crucified him on what he, and who he was. Who he said, they, they kept in the trial before the crucifixion, who are you? And then when he told them, they ripped their garment and said, well, we've heard the blaspheme from his mouth, from his own mouth now. And they, what do you think he's worthy of? Well, he's worthy of death. Well, they didn't have the authority to put anybody to death. 
because they were under tribute of the Romans. So they had to go to, you know, who? Pilate. Pilate had the authority. Well, Pilate didn't want to do it either. More and more Pilate learned about Jesus, the less he wanted to take him, wanted, wanted him killed. But Pilate was a consummate politician. And they began to say, we have no king but Caesar. Now, I'm going to say this. Pilate made them say some things that a Jew would make your hair stand up. I mean, just make a Jew's hair stand up. We have no king but Caesar. Now, come on, people. Are you kidding me? They wanted him dead so badly that they created fake news. And you're seeing it again today. Uh, basically, they wanted Christ crucified where they would agree with Pilate and say, we have no king but Caesar. That was as blasphemous as they could have been to do that. But they wanted that man dead because he was a thorn in their side and he was revealing God in a new way that they had never been familiar with and that they did not want and were rejecting. He came into his own, his own received him not. He came into the Jews officially and they rejected him. Who believed him? The poor, the fishermen, the workmen, the non-religious, they believed him, and they followed him. Mary Magdalene, the immoral women, they got right with God. Uh, demon-possessed people, the gatherer-maniac wanted to follow him. Those are the people who followed Jesus. A ragtag, motley crew of believers, and that's what I'm looking out here this morning. I'm not looking at royalty this morning. Not as far as the world calls you. The world calls you an outcast and ragged, you know. They call you foolish. They call you weak-minded because you believe there's a God. But the truth is we're sons of the living God, birthed by the Holy Spirit. Uh, a royal, soon to be a royal priesthood. Positionally, you're already a royal priesthood, but practically speaking, the application, that's not happened yet. And we're going to be a royal priesthood uh, in the millennium in service of the king. Oh, things are looking up. Things are looking up for us. And so you understand, I say all that to say you understand why the outline of Hebrews is what it is. When you see the pressure the average Hebrew Christian's under, accepting this person called Jesus Christ as God manifest in the flesh according to the book of Timothy. And so, let me give you, so the book goes through chapter 9. The outline of the book is 1 through 9 and 10 through 13. 13 chapters. 1 through 9, 10 through 13. So my, one of my goals is that before we quit this, you'll have pretty much have this memorized. You'll be, able to, you'll be able to say this outline without looking. So the first two chapters, and I'm going to put it up here. It's the first, the second Sunday we've done this. Is Christ is better than the angels? Okay, he, he and the, because they tried to say, well, he's an angel. He, and, and by the way, this is not dead. The Jehovah's Witnesses still try to tell you that he is an angel, and the Mormons will tell you he is an angel. And so there's, it's not dead. This lie about Jesus is still not dead. Why? Because it was not created by man. 
These lies against Jesus were really created by the, by the demonic forces, the devil and his angels, because he's a liar and a father of it. We talked about that Wednesday. So Christ is better than Moses, chapter 3 and 4. Christ is better than the Old Testament priests. You see how he's just knocking the blocks out from under the law of Moses? Now, Romans chapter 7, Paul said the law of Moses is just holy and good. They're, man, oh man, we're not against the law. It was by the law that the Christ came. In other words, the law made the provision for Christ to come. And as a schoolmaster, it brought us to Christ. It prepared us. The law, thou shalt not have any other gods before me. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Thou shalt remember the Sabbath, take it holy. The, the law, may, the first four being our responsibility to God, the last uh, six being our responsibility to man. And our violation of those on a regular basis put us in a position and made us savable. What did the law do for you and me? It made us savable. What does that mean? It simply made us so guilty that not one person could say they had obeyed the law. Not one person could beat their chest and say, I'm righteous enough for God to accept me. It made us all sinners unable to save ourselves. And that put us in a position to be saved by God. Because until you admit who you are, you cannot be saved. If you go around and that, boy, does that keep a lot of people away from God? They'll say, well, you know, I'm not so bad and all these other things. I'm not going into that. So we see that he's better than the Old Testament. The whole priesthood, the Jews, they fell in love with the system. And I think sometimes fundamentalists do that, or any, any, any people that worship God. You get used to a system, and now listen, I'm a Baptist by conviction. I am an independent, fundamental, Bible-believing, King James Bible Baptist by absolute conviction, not because it was convenient, not because it was an easier way to go or it was more profitable for me to go that way. I went that way against the grain, against the current, uh, offered all kinds of other deals. I was offered in Southern Baptist Church and other. No, because I, I kept studying the Bible, and the Bible's this this group is the closest to the Word of God as any group I know, and that's why I'm I'm here today, and that's why I've been here these forty years. Because this group, that this thing called the Independent Fundamental Bible Believing Baptists, are the closest to what the Bible teaches that I can find. And as you say, if I find something better, I'll go to it. But I haven't. And so they, he was knocking the leg out of the, he, no, he's not an angel. No, he's better than, you guys think Moses was a great man. Uh, he was, by the way, the meekest of all men. He wouldn't have called himself great. A meek man would never call himself great. He would say, God's great, I'm nothing. And so Moses, as much as he's used of God, he was not, no. Uh, oh, the priesthood, oh, the priesthood, the Levites, the stones, the glass. No, no. I know you love that. But no, that Christ is better than that. And so Christ is better even than the, now we're getting, we're ramping up. We're ramping up. Christ is better than the Old Testament covenant. What? You mean to tell me he's better than what was given to Moses on Mount Sinai as he spent 40 days and 40 nights in front of and with, with God, uh, getting taught by him, and then eventually came down with 
these ten commandments, which is the summation of the 613 specific commandments of the Old Covenant. You mean to tell me these were the law written, uh, given to us on the disposition literally of angels? You mean to tell me somehow Christ and what he taught is even better than that? That's exactly what he said. Exactly what he said. Do you understand the pill is getting a little hard to swallow here? I have some sympathy for the Jewish folks as they struggle to throw this off. Now, here's the, here's the wild thing about it. If they come, and many, many Jews do get saved. Once they come to Christ, they still revere Moses. We, we revere Moses. We revere the Old Testament covenant. Uh, we revere the ministry of angels. Uh, we revere the Old Testament priesthood and look at it and say, wow, you know, those people did a good thing for God there. Uh, but we also understand that his purpose is over. It brought us to Christ, and once it brought us to Christ, Christ takes over with the Spirit, which is a higher level of service. Rather than the letter of the law, now we are under the Spirit of the law. It's called in the Bible the law of liberty. So now we live under a higher law than they lived under, a more, I would say in many ways, a more demanding law called the law of liberty. Now we have the Holy Spirit, born-again believers in us. We have the Word of God. We have somebody interpreting it for us, somebody praying with us even, and, and praying to the Father for us and with us with groanings which cannot be uttered and things like that. The privileges that we have of the New Testament are whoo-wee. That's why Hebrews says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? That's why the sternest warnings of the whole New Testament, Old Testament, are in the book of Hebrews. What warning to what? Warning if you fall away. Warning if you take those things of, of the, these precious things that you've been given lightly. A warning uh, that you're not going to get, this is not going to be good for you if you, if you carelessly, casually take these, these sacred things given to you. Wow, we're going to go over those warnings as, as this progresses as well as soon. So lastly, so we see, oh, I mean, uh, Old Testament sacrifices. The sacrifice was the pinnacle. It was the, the lambs and the goats and, and all the sacrifices. Aren't you glad you're not under the sacrificial system because you'd have to have a pretty good memory of what's sacrificed when and, and how you do it and scapegoat and, and you know, the lamb and, and day of atonement. And, and three times a year you were supposed to go to Jerusalem and, and do all this and get before God, every male, every male. Three times a year was supposed to give before God in Jerusalem. And uh, that was big. That was big. They didn't do too much of it. They didn't obey very well. But we still we see Christ is better than angels, better than Moses, better than priests, better than the covenant, better even than the sacrifices. And to the place where it says, this is a shocker. The blood of bulls and goats never took away sin. That's a shocker. The blood of both, all that blood, all that blood, when, when Solomon sacrificed, he sacrificed so many, in a dedication of the, of, the, of the temple, he sacrificed so many animals 
They, they had to run, they ran out of people to do it. I mean, they had to have help. And all of that shed blood, and without shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. But it reminds us in Hebrews, it was not the animal blood that really was the, the, that bought the remission of sin. It was a foreshadowing until the Lamb of God would come, of course, Jesus Christ. His blood was what purchased our salvation. It was His blood given at the mercy seat in heaven that purchased the redemption that we enjoy. And if I may say this, that Adam to John the Baptist enjoy. See, I believe Adam was saved. I believe John the Baptist was saved for sure. And a lot of them people, but they were, they were before Christ. Where do they fit in? Well, the blood of Jesus Christ shed was enough to purchase anybody salvation who ever believed. They believed forward-looking. We simply believe backward-looking. Now, we definitely have more privileges than they do, and we have more, more uh, in some ways, more intimacy than they ever had. But it's sure um, the blood of Jesus Christ. So what's the pinnacle of the whole book? Jesus Christ. What's the theme of the whole book? Jesus Christ and his blood shed. Uh, what, what's the underlying uh, uh, statement of the whole book? It was, the, it was the covenant, the new covenant that has replaced the old. And it wouldn't be called old if there wasn't some new coming. Right? You don't call something old if you, unless you got something new. Amen? And so that's the new covenant. Is, they're now really supposed to have become their covenant. And by the way, the apostles were Jews. And so they got, so Jew, many Jews got saved. In fact, the Bible even says many of the Pharisees got saved. After the crucifixion and resurrection, I believe Nicodemus got saved. I believe Nicodemus, he got it. But you know how smart that guy, Nicodemus was a smart man. Those, those Pharisees were the intellectual of the intellectual. And he couldn't figure out spiritual birth. Jesus said, except you be born again. And he said, how can a man enter twice into his mother's womb? Now stop it. Stop it. You know nobody's going twice in a mother's womb. And Jesus was talking on a different plane. You have to be born physically once but you have to be born spiritually once. And just like you had to be born physically to exist, so you must be born spiritually to exist. You gotta have it. That's that, and that's so if you die, if you're only born once, you're gonna have to die twice. And if you're born twice, you only have to die once, unless you're the rapture crowd. Everybody wants to be the rapture crowd. Y'all want to be the rapture crowd? You know, since I've been a little child, I've heard the rapture, rapture, rapture. All them people are dead now. All them people that talked about that are all dead. I'm sorry. I had a woman die. I did a funeral, if you don't mind me uh, digressing here. I did a funeral for a woman that I didn't know well, but I, I came to know that her whole life, she had told her children and grandchildren, God told me that I'm never going to die, that I'm going to be raptured. Now, this is the trouble with God told me. This is the trouble with God told me. What's more credible, the Bible or God telling you? I'm going with the Bible. First of all, I don't know which voice, 
First of all, I don't know for sure it was God that told you. You may be for sure God told you, but where was it God that told you that? Was it your spirit that told you that? When you talk to yourself, who are you talking to? I mean, which voice are you talking to? I'm not diminishing God talking to you because the Holy Spirit does talk to you. But be real careful when you start banking real big stuff and I heard a voice tell me to do this. 95% of everything you and I need to know is written in the Word of God. It's there for us. The Holy Spirit, 5% comes by. He'll say, give a track to somebody. He'll move you to give a nurse a track. Or he moved you to come up and see me. I don't doubt it. I mean, he, when I was up in the hospital, he delivered a patient next door to my room. Rochelle there. He delivered a patient next door to my room. Now, come on. What are the chances of me being in the hospital in the room next to the place where he, the patient he delivered. So pretty soon I'm talking with my doctor. I see this big old boy walk in. I think, what in the world? Is she bringing back up? I mean, I'm not a very compliant patient. I figured out oh, she's probably going to work me over. And here's Rochelle here. Well, she didn't know you either. She thought you were with me. So he comes in and he talks about I mean, I, I believe God works like that. God works like that. But... Uh, this woman, I'm going to tell the story now. Don't ever let me get rabbit trailed. You may never hear it. This woman died. So I did her funeral. Now, I did not know what I just told you until after the funeral. After the funeral, the children and grandchildren came up to me and said, Preacher, you've got to help us. You've got to help us. You've got to help us. I said, well, What can I do for it? I did not know these people. And they said, well, my mother my, and my grandmother was a very godly woman, loved Jesus her whole life, and that was beautiful. That was beautiful. And, you know, read her Bible, knew her book, and loved the, loved the Lord. But she told us the whole life that she was never going to die, that she was going to be raptured. And here she died. I said, she was wrong. What's hard about that? What's so hard about that? Guess what? She was wrong. And I said, don't hold that against her. That isn't the only thing she's been wrong about. And I don't know her well, but I just got a feeling she's been wrong hundreds of times. I kind of get used to it. Never feels good. But I'm, I'm wrong quite a bit about stuff. Now, that's what happens when you get outside the book. There's going to be a rapture. I've heard, I've heard these old timers say, oh, in fact, I'm, I've been talking to Bob Shelton lately because he was always saying, I believe in the upper taker, not the undertaker. I want to be in the rapture. Well, Bob's about 91 now. And I said, Bobby, his wife died. I said, Bobby, your wife didn't make the rapture, man. I said, I know it, man. He said, I'm still looking for the rapture. I said, well, you keep looking. Keep looking because one way or another, you're going up. You're going up, amen. And I said, maybe I'm the generation of the rapture. He goes, well, I hope you are. No, I can't. Don't, 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 don't lean on that too hard, okay? So let me go with these truths. So you got chapter 1 through 9, you have the doctrinal section. By the way, this is a method of teaching that the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches us how to teach. Paul's method was phenomenal. He always established the truth. That's the doctrine, the truth. He established it. He went over it. He established it. And that's the first nine chapters. 
Then, after this truth was established, he applied it to your life. That's just a good way of teaching. And that's the way Paul taught. That's the way a lot of the Bible. So, Paul, so we have the application section is 10, 11, 12, 13. Uh, the application is true, 10 through 13. So we see in chapter 10 the great, great consequences of disobedience. This is where the warnings are, which I'm, I'm just reviewing this. So if you keep coming, you're going to see all this. If, the greatest warnings of all the Bible are found in chapter 10, chapter 6, chapter 10, and some in chapter 12, but mostly in chapter 10. Uh, great examples of obedience. Well, it's, it's, it's apropos that you would see the consequences for disobedience, and then he'd let you have a little breath with the beauty of obedience. Chapter 10, woo, it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. Chapter 11, faith is substance things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And here are 17 named people that believed me and lived it, their life in faith. And how did they turn out? And then there's that great cloud of witnesses, there's too many to mention, that have lived their life of faith and trusted Christ. And look how they've turned out. And then, by the way, they're rooting for you. That great cloud of witnesses rooting for you. They're hoping you succeed. I believe my mom and dad are on the other side, and I believe they're conscious, by the way. I believe Pat, Billy, I believe Pat's on the other side, and I believe she's conscious. I don't know. I don't think she knows what day, maybe day it is or where you're at or how, maybe how old you are. But she knows you're not there. I think she's rooting. You, why can't we pray in heaven? Show me why we can't pray in heaven. Shows in the book of Revelation. And so it wouldn't surprise me that the people have gone on before us saying, boy, Lord, help those folks make it. Help those folks do well. Help those folks believe unto the end. Help them to end well. I, I believe it. That's what that great cloud of witnesses is all about. Chapter 11. What we see in chapter 12, we see a great position. This salvation we received gives us a position that no other dispensation has ever had such a great position as we have, being born again from above, being a child of the living God by faith in Christ Jesus. Through grace, not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. We're all on the same level. I love it. There's no one person above another because we all come as sinners. That's level ground. You say, well, I didn't sin as much as so-and-so. Your sin would have sent you to hell just as sure as so-and-so's would have. And so you're all level. We're all level, aren't we? We're on a level playing field. We're all sinners, unable to save ourselves by any amount of good works. And we've all received His grace. And that makes us all on a level playing field also. So we're all recipients of grace. We're all sinners. We qualified by being sinners, unable to save ourselves. We've repented. We were, the Bible says, Godly sorrow worketh repentance unto salvation, that not to be repented of. So the, the sorrow, the... the um, you can come in, people, in the, in the foyer. Somebody go out there. Somebody go out there and get those folks. They look in the window there. It bothers me. I got people. I'm preaching up here, and I got people going. 
Just bring them in, man. Have them, have them come on in. Have them come on in. Um, do you want to know what I said about Ernie Leonard, why I said that? He called me, and he says, I think I know what it was. He called me. It was about faith, it was about faith in fishing. You have to have faith to fish. And I'm not going into the whole thing, but it was absolutely, I said, yeah, that was, yeah. I wish I'd remembered that when I needed to. So I, I know you wanted to know that. So it was a great illustration. But. So now we're a son. We got a great position. We're a son. We're not, you know what he told his disciples? He says, you're not servants anymore. A servant does not know what his master does. A servant has no rights at all. You're a son. I'm promoting you to being a son. He also said you're my friends. That's intimate. That's an intimate relationship. I'm a friend of Jesus, and I'm a child of Jesus through faith and through birth. And not one child can brag about being better than another child because we all came on the same level. In other words, we came in on the same platform. Sinners unable to save ourselves. By the grace of God, we trusted Christ. And so we all come in. So we don't look at each other and say, I'm better than you and you're better than me. That's pride. And there's no, there's no place for pride in heaven. Pride's of the devil. And so the last thing we see in chapter 13 are great practical ways to demonstrate your faith. So now you have this, you have this uh, tremendous position of faith as a son, and here's how you live it out. Now you say, you mean to tell me? Yeah, chapter 13, I, don't have, I can't do it today because I can't let the rabbit out of the hat, you know. But chapter 13 you need is people just kind of go over 13 like, Phew. So the most important instruction for a born-again believer found in chapter 13. And it's, it's some of the most disobeyed parts of the Bible. I have brought this chapter up to people in my, have come into my office and I say, let's read this verse. So we read the verse. And I said, now, why don't you practice it? Why don't you do that? So you read the verse out of the Bible, right? It's not a red-faced Baptist preacher. You read the verse out of the Bible and say, this is what the verse says. Will you obey that? And they go, no, I can't do that. I bet you're going to go home, read chapter 13, wonder what's, what, what, which, what's he talking about? You read it, you'll see it. Because when you read it, you're going to know exactly which verses it is. But those are tough verses, straight up and down. If you really have faith and your position as a son, you're going to practice this faith by the things he gets instructions for us in chapter 13. So, there we go. There's, there it is right there. That's what I want you to, is that up there? That's what I want you to remember. When we get out of here, and when we finish this, I want you to remember, if you don't remember anything about what I've said, even Ernie Leonard's illustration, um, I want you to remember this outline. Uh, if you want it in writing, uh, I'm, sure, um, I'm sure Wendy can probably uh, email it to you, maybe text it to you if you want it. Um, if you're trying to handwrite it down, maybe a little tough on you. There's a lot of material right there, a lot of things to write. We're going to try to go real quickly at the beginning of each day, and we're going to try to review this from memory. Review this from memory, okay? So we're going to go over it from memory. 
I had a Jehovah's Witness come by my house, and he was the head of the kingdom hall, the local kingdom hall. Head of a guy, sharp, sharp mentally, and he was the head of them, and he, and he tried to one-ups me, you know. He tried to one-ups me biblically, and I, and I said, the whole thing's about Jesus, is you deny him, and I accept him. You deny who he was. You said he was a he's a son. You know, so I started going into what they did, and he said, well, and I said, no, no. The whole book of Hebrews is devoted to Jesus. And so I had it memorized, the outline, and I simply went down the outline of Hebrews with him. And by the time I got down to the 13th chapter, he just left. Because the, the Bible speaks for itself. Don't you try to diminish the Son. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, 18, All power is given to me in heaven. Where? Heaven and in earth. Heaven and in earth. Sounds like God to me. Now, you may not be able to understand the, the triunity of God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, because Jesus was the one in that same little section there in 20th chapter said, when you baptize, I want you to baptize in, in three names. That was unheard of to a Jew. Absolutely unheard of. It was anathema. I want you to baptize in the name of the Father, name of the Son, name of the Holy Spirit. And what he was doing, he was giving them further revelation of who God was. He is a triunity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're one. There's only one God manifests in three persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. You say, I can't understand that. Well, da, 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 da. Just because you don't understand something, don't make it so. Doesn't make it not so. Is that right? The double negative. Doesn't make it not so. I learned a long time ago, I didn't understand electricity, but you put your fingers in them sockets and you'll learn, you'll learn about it. I don't understand her lightning. I don't understand lightning, how it can go in the air like that, but if you take your, your golf club out there on a the golf course and go like this during a lightning storm, you may get an introduction to lightning 101. There's a whole lot of things on earth that you do not understand and will never understand, but you accept them as fact. And that's the triunity of God. Father, thank you for a few minutes together. In Jesus' name. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.